The following audio is from The Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Hey, I'm back again. Um, hey, we're gonna be in Ephesians chapter two if you're looking for a spot in the Bible. And um, I know you got a Bible app that you can turn to on your phone and that's great. I do wanna remind you, I think it's a great habit to bring a Bible if you have it as the actual book and pages um, uh, because I think it's important for you to understand where certain things are at in scripture, if you're, especially if you're not familiar. It's good to have one because when I say Ephesians 2, some people are like, I have no idea where that's at. And that's okay, um, but it's good maybe to bring one because then you get a little more familiar with where stuff is at. Um, we're in a series called This Is Church and um, excited about it, talking about it. In fact, if you go back to part one, the church is not the building. Um, we call our, our you know, services, we call them gatherings um, intentionally. There's something about understanding church, not as an organization or a legal entity that fill out paperwork in a state or nation or whatever, but the church is us. The church is the body of Christ. We are the church. And so we've been talking about that. If you miss one of these messages, you can always go back at grove.church, click on me and listen or watch online, encourage you to do that. Um, but we're in part four today, Ephesians chapter two is where we're gonna land. And let me take a moment real quick before we jump in and say this, um, baptism is next Sunday. And I'm super excited. We love Baptism Sundays because we love to celebrate the stories of life change. If you've given your life to faith in Christ, but since you made that decision, you've yet to be water baptized, I wanna challenge you to take that step. You go, well, what exactly is it? It's symbolism of laying your life down in the waters of baptism and coming up new in Christ. Somebody said it this way years ago. It's an outward declaration of the inward transformation that God has done in Christ. And so it's you going public saying, I wanna serve Jesus and I'm accountable to the people celebrating with me. So I wanna challenge you to take that step. You can sign up online at grove.church. You can go to the church app and fill out the thing and get signed up. We would love to celebrate with you next Sunday as we baptize in all three of our gatherings in person. And we'll have that available as well online for those of you that are watching online. My wife reminds me sometimes that... Um, She's used this phrase, just so you know, you're not the world's police. <laughs> Which is interesting because on my bucket list is actually wanting to make a citizen's arrest someday. So, um, <laughs> for whatever reason. No, honestly, here's the deal. Like there are times where for whatever reason, I feel like I need to within myself, make sure somebody else understands that they're not quite doing things right, that they've got something wrong, that it's my responsibility to correct whatever that situation might be. And I would imagine there's others that are along with me on that one. Anyone? Okay. We know the right way to do things. Other people don't. If I can just fix that by them doing it my way, the world would be a better place, right? Okay. Here's the ultimate confession. We're a work in progress. Okay. <laughs> The issue is probably not so much the others as much as it is us. And that's just an honest confession um, from a pastor who doesn't always get everything exactly right. So um, here's the thing. We, we, we sometimes want our own sort of vigilante justice. We want things to be made right. And sometimes it's easy to look at the problem as somebody else when what we need to do is realize, especially as you and I look to filter our lives through the lens of Christ, what does it mean to live the way he wants? And so Ephesians chapter two gives us a picture of this that I wanna take a look at. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. And one of the problems in this church is that just like probably most any church in general in probably 2000 years of Christian history, he's talking to this church about this problem of selfish living. 
of indulging in the flesh, as he would call it. He's saying, you know, you're given to certain patterns of living and, and those things are not okay. And then he brings up the point where you and I can actually have hope as we get to Ephesians 2, starting in verse four. It says, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, everybody say rich in mercy. Okay, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Everybody say, it is by grace you have been saved. Okay, then he goes on to say this. And God, verse six, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Father, today we pray for you to help us understand what this is about, why Paul paints this picture to the church back then, but also to the church today. Open our hearts, open our eyes, help today change how we exist in our world, how we operate within our families, how we operate within our neighborhoods and workplaces. God, how we live at a grocery store or on a freeway or wherever it is we go. God, open our hearts in a new way today. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul in this text is gonna talk over and over and what I just read, you might've even felt like, why is he repeating this? Did he just, didn't he just read that already? Because Paul is being repetitive, but he's doing it on purpose. Like I said, the context of these verses come in a place where he's already said the problem with the way that most of us live is that we're given to the flesh. We do what we sort of feel like we want to do, which by the way, we're all aware is kind of an epidemic in our world. Hey, if it feels good, do it. Life is about you being happy. And that's kind of all that matters because when we get to the end of our lives, you know, we'll look back and go, well, was I happy? And at the end of the day, that's not actually true but that's probably another sermon for another day. Paul says, you've got a problem when you want to live selfishly and that's the focus of your life. And so he, he kind of paints this picture of when you live that way, you're stuck. When you live that way, you're lost. When you live that way, you're deceiving yourself. And then he begins to turn the conversation by saying this, but, and this is beautiful, but because of God's great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions, the things we've done wrong. The picture that Paul is painting is that you and I create our messes. You and I have an issue in our lives called sin. Things that we do wrong, ways that we miss the mark of not obeying, not walking in the kind of love that God designed for us to walk in. And he said, even though we're stuck in this pattern of walking that way, God's amazing grace extends life to us, even though we don't deserve it. And so he goes on to say, um, it is by grace you have been saved. The definition of grace biblically, when you look at the Greek word, is unearned or unmerited favor. It's this picture of, I haven't done anything and yet God still extends his grace, but Paul makes the picture even more challenging. God raised us up with Christ 
and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, verse seven, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You're like, what does that mean? What it means is this. When you and I look through the lens of our own selfishness or living the way that we want to live, we're in the mud, we're stuck in a pit. But Paul says, God's great love for us extends grace to us and pulls us out of the mud. But then he goes on, and this is what he's saying in verse six and seven. He goes on not only to lift us out of it, but literally put us on the same pedestal as Christ. God looks at your life and my life through the lens of what Jesus has done, not through what you have done. And that, by the way, is the best news possible. That, by the way, is the best thing we could ever understand. That, that God's love looks at us through the lens of Christ's sacrifice, not through the lens of our sin. And so he goes on to say, it's not only here on this earth that God blesses us with that grace, but someday when you reach eternity, you're gonna realize all God has laid up for, in store for you. And it's really good. In fact, I would wager when you look at the book of Revelation, John's last letter that he ever wrote, the disciple, he's writing and trying to put human words to this amazing thing that he sees called eternity. And he can, he can barely put words to it. Remember, Jesus said in John 14, I'm going to prepare a place. If Jesus is preparing the place, it's better than property, brothers. Okay, if Jesus, I mean, come on, let's get real here. Better than Magnolia Farms, all right? I love Chip and Joanna, but come on. Okay, it's, it's better than that. And it's that reminder, because of God's great grace, we're not looked at through the lens of our sin. And the truth is, every one of us has that issue of sin. He goes on and he continues to expand the conversation with this challenge. For it is by grace you have been saved. And you go, didn't he just say that? Yes, he did, but he extends it by saying this, through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. What he's doing is he's leveling the playing field for everybody. Don't think that because you act better than that person that you're in a better standing with God. Be careful because if this is about a good works competition, you're gonna miss it by a million miles. It is not about your works that put you in right standing. It's by faith believing in what God has done through the cross of Jesus Christ that you and I could be forgiven. Jesus wasn't crucified any more for me than he was for you. And that levels everything. You're, if you came in here and you feel like you were too bad, you walked in, well, I hope lightning doesn't strike. I've never been to church before. I got good news for you. God's grace is extended to you. It's for all of us. And it really is the best news possible. So he says, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. Time out. That's Ephesians 2.10. One of the problems that you and I have when we read scripture is um, it's easy to sort of cherry pick a verse. And this is a great verse. But what we do sometimes is we look at Ephesians 2.10 and you hear that in a totally separate context of, hey, we're called to do good works and be involved. And by the way, we should be involved. And I love Find Your Team. And I love what Ryan said last week about you and I being the body of Christ. And I love the tension he creates and going, look, take a step. 
be involved. And we saw a bunch of people fill out the card or go on the app and fill out the way to find your team. And hey, I wanna look into maybe checking out some ministry, maybe a way to get involved here, which if you haven't taken that step today, I wanna challenge you to take that step. The card's there in the seat in front of you. You can always go online and, and fill out the little thing to, to get involved, but we would love for you to take that step. Ephesians 2.10 is not separate from Ephesians 2 verses four through nine. It's all the same conversation. And at the end of the day, what Paul is saying is, you have been the recipient of amazing grace. If you've been the recipient of amazing grace, not because of works, then the outflow of you receiving that amazing grace is, is, is that you extend that kind of life into the world around you. Simply said, it goes like this, to receive amazing grace is to give amazing grace. Do you realize even for a moment how much you've been forgiven? Do you realize for a moment if you and I were to have all of our activities and all of our thoughts put on the screen right here over the last seven days, none of us would want that. Because there's things that we think or ways that we act or stuff that we do that we're not proud of. And if we could understand the mountain of rebellion in our hearts, of disobedience, of things where we miss the mark, it'd be pretty embarrassing. Oh, here's mine. Here's my list. And yet Paul says God has covered it all in Christ. And then his reminder in verse 10 is this, but don't for a moment think it's just for you to sit back and enjoy. Don't for a moment think it's for you to go, I'm so glad I get to be forgiven and that's the end of the story. Paul says, no, no, the story continues by you receiving that grace and living out that grace into the lives of other people. Amazing grace received ought to be amazing grace given. And so the tension that gets created in a moment like this is how gracious are you? How forgiving are you? How often do you hold a grudge because of something and you feel kind of stuck and yet you hear a message like this and go, oh, I shouldn't have come to church today. To receive amazing grace is to give amazing grace. There's no way around it. There are people today that would, would say, if you've ever heard the New Testament and the gospels where Jesus is navigating life with people and he's teaching and there's these conversations, at one point somebody says, you know, what, what is the greatest commandment? In one gospel, it was a conversation that, that somebody had challenged Jesus with. In another conversation, it was Jesus asking someone else. But what was the answer given? Does anybody remember? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Which commandment is greater? Okay, do you understand that though? It's, it's not an either or. When, when, when it's drawn out in the New Testament, it's not a love God first and eventually love people. No, no, no. The conversation is this, love God. And if you love God, you will then love people. Anybody heard of the disciple named John? 
John wrote the gospel of John as an eyewitness account of what Jesus had to say, how Jesus navigated life and how Jesus paid the price for our sin, died, was buried, resurrected, and was the savior of the world, okay? John also wrote Revelation, okay? He had been exiled to the island of Patmos after being boiled in oil as persecution and surviving. And they're like, well, you're still alive, go to the island. So he goes to this island, he spends the rest of his life out on this island called Patmos and he has this vision, revelation that he writes down. But in between the gospel of John and revelation, what else did he do? Anybody ever heard of 1 John? Do you know what's after 1 John? Second, you know what follows that one? 3 John, it's amazing how it works. Okay, but, but do you know if you could sum up the theme of 1, 2nd and 3 John, what it would be? Specifically. Love, love one another. When, if you get into the words, especially in 1 John, 1 John has a bunch of chapters. 2nd and 3rd John are so short that they're one chapter. It's just a letter written to two different people. But in both of those letters, he reiterates what he already said in 1 John, which is what he talks about in the gospel of John. John 3.16 says what? For God so loved the world, right? For God so loved for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So if you get into John, he talks over and over about this idea of how much God loves us. And so let's respond by loving others. And so the case is made that this isn't about love God first. And eventually you'll learn to love others. No, no. First John actually says, if you love others, it means you love God. So let me ask the question again, how gracious are you? How loving are you? God gifts into our lives people all over the place. And you can look at your neighbors and go, they're not a gift, they're a curse. And God says, you love them? That person, your family you married into and there's a crazy uncle? Crazy aunt, you're the crazy uncle, you're the crazy aunt? You go to work and there's people that you go, man, they're easy to love. I love, we go to lunch all the time. And then there's where you go, I don't wanna go to lunch with them. I don't wanna spend time with them. I can't stand them. And like I said, in my confession, one of my greatest weaknesses, and I don't like it, is my impatience on the road. And I'm the world's police. So if you're gonna ride me, instead of 55, we're gonna go 50. Probably down to 45. We might get down to 20. Because you're gonna learn. And God says, are you loving them? Hashtag break check. <laughs> or the guy in front of you that isn't doing what you like either. He's not going fast enough. Well, I can't pass because there's traffic coming, so I'm just gonna ride him until he speeds up. I'm gonna teach him. I'm the world's police. And God says, are you loving them? To receive amazing grace is to give amazing grace. And I have been caught by the tail over and over, realizing that I love certain people, great, but I don't love people like I should because it's a lot easier to pick and choose. You're easy to love, we're good. You're not easy to love, no thanks. And that's not just my confession. That's most of us. And yet the challenge is this, how do I help people see God's love in Christ? Because that's what I'm supposed to stand for. 
Is it any wonder in our world that, that you have said this and I've said this many times, it seems like we are more polarized than ever. And it pains me to look at the world that we live in and I'm constantly praying, Lord, how do I love well in a world where, hey, you're in a family and this part of the family is all about wearing masks and better get the vaccine, all this stuff. And this, it doesn't even work, it doesn't matter. And now there's silence. Are you, you proud of that? You have your opinion about how the Democrats are ruining our world or the Republicans are ruining our world, but you're a Christian. But if you're a Christian Republican, you can't like Christian Democrats. And some of you go, there's no such thing as a Christian Democrat. How dare you? <laughs> oh, am I stepping on toes? Go ahead and tuck your feet in the seat there. That's fine. As Levi Larson used to say. You know, Nick, you haven't said enough about Black Lives Matter. What's wrong with you? You know, I'm not coming to church unless people wear masks. You know, I'm not coming to church unless people don't wear masks. You know what, pastor, I need you to write me a religious exemption because in my workplace, I'm about to lose my job. And Any given week, there are people that I'm just not pleasing. And guess what? It hurts. Shakespeare said, if you cut me, do I not bleed? I hate angry emails as much as the next person. And I try to be humble about it, God. How do I love them? I literally had a conversation this week with somebody. He's saying, let me know how I can love, please. Because I admit, I might not always get it all right. But my filter for my life is not what's right for me. The filter for my life is how do I love people? I mentioned this a while back, but Andy Stanley said it this way. How many of you guys know the golden rule? What is it? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. How many of you have taught that to your kids? Hey, memorize it, repeat it, remember it, help me live that way. You've got it right sometimes, you've got it wrong sometimes. Anybody? Yeah, probably all of us. I love how Andy makes the case of if you and I are to live in Christ, it's not the golden rule that matters as much. It's actually the platinum rule. And he says it this way, do unto others as Christ has done to you. That changes everything. That changes everything. Because it would be easy for me to justify, if you're gonna be mean to me, I'll be mean to you. If you're gonna be nice to me, I'll be nice to you. It's tit for tat. It's, well, if you do this, then I'll do that. And that's not how Jesus operates. That's Paul's whole point. You're a mess. You're living in your own way. You're doing selfish things. You're, you're, you're wanting your way all the time. And that's not okay. Paul says, I got good news for you. God hasn't given up on you. In fact, in the midst of that attitude, he extends grace. He extends mercy. For it is by grace you have been saved. And he says it over and over and over. But in verse 10, it's not separate. It's a, you might have a Bible where there's certain sections, where there's certain topics. Verse 10 goes right in with these other verses, as I already said. And so Paul says, when you were a mess, God extended love and grace to you. God extended you know, what Christ has done on the cross to you. Now, he not only pulls you out of the mud, he places you right up there with Jesus. And you're gonna re receive that reward throughout this, this you know, the blessings on earth as well as into eternity. It's amazing. And then verse 10 is basically, now go and do likewise. 
It's like the last moment Jesus had with the disciples. What did he do? Give me your feet. And he washed the disciples' feet. And what did he say when he was done? As I have done to you, now you go and do to others. In other words, serve and love. If you're in a family where there's division right now over whatever topics, what does it look like for you to be a peacemaker? What does it look like for you to forgive? What does it look like for you to move beyond where you're at in your world and extend grace towards other people? Forgiveness is a huge conversation. A few years ago, we did a whole series talking about the elements of forgiveness. But, but just for today's sake, in fact, I reached out to, to a gal I respect highly. Her name's Michelle Langstrat. Michelle and Clark are part of our church. And if you know them, they're incredible people. But she's a counselor professionally. And she's amazing. If you're on Instagram, you can follow her. She's at Michelle Langstrat Counseling. It's up there at the top. But I love what she posts. And I, I, I'll be looking at Instagram, reading some of the things she has to say. I'm like, that's awesome. I love how no matter the situation, never let your emotions overpower your intelligence. There's a sermon, right? One and done right there. Here's another one. Caring about what people think of you is useless. Most people don't even know what they think of themselves. I don't even get into that one. Merry Christmas. But I called her up and I said, you know, Michelle, Within this series, I love the idea that people get to know people at the church. And we can't do it with everybody all the time. But it's amazing the stories that are sitting here even now. Michelle's story is a very difficult story. But it's also a story of not just her counseling others, but her walking through her own pain and her own grief and betrayal and forgiveness. And I said, I wanna share with with people on Sunday just some conversation about when you're counseling Um, and you talk about forgiveness, I'd love to hear what you have to say because I want to share. I want people to hear. And um, she she literally just said, you know what? I I love that you're bringing this up. And she mentioned walking her own journey. And she said, it's important for people to understand forgiveness is a process, not just a moment. But yes, we choose to forgive. But oftentimes it's, it's the emotion that later on can follow. It's a decision at first that you still feel the angst. You still navigate the pain. In fact, she also talked about that in forgiveness, it includes having stages of grief. And if you're familiar with those, there's all anger and bargain, all this that, that we walk through in grief, sometimes in offense. We have to walk that journey and understand that there's emotions involved and be honest about it. Sometimes as followers of Christ, we just go, well, if I love Jesus, I could just do this and it would be easy. Anyone? We think that sometimes. We buy into that sometimes. That's not true. And she said, it's, it's understanding that, that, that it's not just a moment. We can make the decision, I'm going to forgive. But then it's how will that play out and what do I do to walk the steps, including grieving the hurt? She mentioned that, that, that forgiveness, at the end of the day, even in scripture, becomes about you because you're being held hostage by someone else if you can't forgive. And that's where, when you look at how much you've been forgiven, anybody want to admit you've been forgiven for everything? And if we've been forgiven that much, then we're called, and it's a high bar, and it's painful sometimes, we're called to forgive. And the reminder, that, and I appreciate that she even brought it up, but just that reminder that, that when we're willing to forgive, then guess what? We're able to heal. 
Because one of the keys in forgiveness is that sometimes there's somebody that, that there's an offense and an issue and there's unforgiveness and that person passes away. And do you really believe that you're supposed to be held hostage the rest of your life? No. Because sometimes, well, if they could just ask for forgiveness, I'd be willing. That's not the way it works. If that can happen, it's awesome. But when it can't happen, you still have to walk in that grace and be willing to forgive because otherwise you literally can't move on. She mentioned it's about, it's, that's how we take back the control or the power that someone else has is that, that walking in forgiveness. She did say this, and I thought this was really important. Um, forgiveness isn't finished until heaven. And I know that this is a whole series we did and there's so many more conversations and I've got some resources that I've read on. But I love that she says this because even as followers of Christ, we think when we forgive, everything's better. But her point is this, there are times in relationships where we forgive, but it doesn't mean the relationship's all better or that trust is automatically there. That's not forgiveness, that's a lie. Sometimes it means I forgive you, but I've got to create these boundaries. And until eternity, those, I'm, those have to stay there because there's a certain safety, a certain prudence. And so I thought that was important that, that she mentioned. And, and then finally, um, she did say, and, and this is a weird one when we talked about this, she said, um, forgiveness is even more realistic if we can consider the other person's story. And she said, this one's very difficult because it means delving into what happened as well as why it would happen. She said, it's not letting them off the hook because maybe they had a rough childhood or a certain wound in themselves because hurt people hurt people. But she said, it's about at least being willing to have empathy somehow. And I'm not here to get into your situation and, and to go, here's your deal and whatever. And you hear this and go, oh, that sounds easy, but do you understand? I get that these are deep waters and I'm not trying to make light of this at all. But the truth is when we realize how much we've been forgiven and God, how can I forgive like that? And that's our mandate. I love how Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he said it this way, you've heard it said. And what does he do? He goes back to the old covenant law he says, but I say to you, remember this one? Remember one of them, he says, you've heard it said that you shouldn't murder. And most of us in here are good. I'll look at anyone. Um, no, do not murder, we're good. Then he says, but I say to you, you shouldn't have hatred in your heart towards somebody. Murder, most of us, we're good. That one, we're like, Shh. He says, hey, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Yeah, good. Oh, you shouldn't even have a look at all that, that's lustful towards somebody. What does Jesus do? He raises that bar. He challenges us to realize it's not about this letter of the law issue. It's about walking in the grace he's come to provide. It's about loving others the way Christ has loved us. At the end of the day, that's what matters. The reason tomorrow we launch Irresistible, which I would, I would almost beg you to be a part of it, carve out the next seven weeks from seven to 8.15 every Monday, and we're gonna be in this room and we're gonna be walking through a book called Irresistible, but it's this whole idea of being cautious about how you and I operate in the world we live in because you and I are representatives of Christ wherever we go. And so when you think about to receive amazing grace is to give amazing grace. And, and so Paul says it's by grace, not by works. And but thank God it's not by works because I'm a terrible person. Then James says, hey, if you don't have works, your faith is dead. And people for years have said, the Bible contradicts itself, see? Here's what it is. 
don't forget verse 10 of Ephesians 2. That's what people do. Because verse 10 goes right along with what James says, which by the way, James is the half brother of Jesus. When Jesus walked this earth, he literally was like, my brother's crazy. He has a Messiah complex, right? <laughs> Sorry, that was dad, hashtag dad jokes. You're welcome. But, but later he, he became a believer in his own half brother. And he wrote this letter to the churches having experienced persecution and spread all over. He says, I love the churches to all you guys that are all over the place. And in chapter two, he says this, hey, if you have faith, then guess what? How you live in it is an expression of that faith. That's why chapter two says that. If you, if you have faith but have no deeds, it's dead. His point isn't work for your faith. His point is when you have faith, the outflow of it is how you love people, period. Finally, and I need to be done here. In Philippians, again, it's, it's a letter that Paul wrote to the church at, at Philippi. And, and, and if you know the history of the Old Testament, Paul was a persecutor of the church. He was commissioned to, to literally give approval for the arrest and torture and murder of Christians until he encounters Jesus. And he became so passionate, he was so passionate about persecuting the church, but he was just as passionate about helping people see Jesus once he realized the light came on. And he goes on, he travels around the Mediterranean, he established churches and helps build them up and raise up teams, incredible. And at the church at Philippi, he cares so much about. And the theme of this letter that he writes has to do with joy. But he says, if you wanna live in real joy, in chapter two, he puts it this way. Um, oops, wrong page, sorry. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others greater than yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And then he brings it right back to what we're talking about. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Moses. Have the same mindset as Abraham, as David, as Solomon. No, no, what does he say? The platinum rule. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but took on the very, the very form or nature of a servant. Being made a human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. That's that picture of how we're called to walk. What would it look like for you to extend amazing grace into your marriage? What would it look like for you to extend amazing grace into your parenting? Or maybe as kids with you're grown up and parents are older, what does it look like to extend grace? What does it look like for you to extend amazing grace at work to those neighbors? What's your reputation when you go places? What does it look like? Maybe you're a boss, you own a company. You're a manager, you're upper level in organization for you to extend grace. Because by the way, if you wanna be great, be the servant of all. But that doesn't work in the corporate world. Want to bet? There's story after story. And I read them all the time because I'm always reading on servanthood, leadership, and Christ-likeness all the time. For us to love well, not to lord over. 
how would it change the way that you operate every day? I admit there are times where I want vigilante justice. That citizen's arrest bucket list, baby. Yeah, God says, nope. Why don't you extend grace? Nope. Why don't you love others? Nope, why don't you do as Jesus did for you? How would that change how you live? For you and I to receive amazing grace is to give amazing grace. Father, we need you. It's a tall order. But my prayer is even as we ponder some of these questions about how gracious we are, how we operate within our neighborhoods or apartment complexes, how we operate at work, whether we're the, the, the entry-level position or we're in upper management or we're the owner of a company, how we operate as parents or even as kids towards our parents. Jesus, I pray for you to be the filter that we look through, for you to be the one that, that creates that tension in our hearts. Even as we talk about forgiveness, how do we move towards relationship, reconciliation? grace and forgiveness. That they're not two separate things. God, I love you, but I don't love them. That to love them is to love you. And I pray this could change the trajectory of how we love our world. We want people to realize God's love in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.